Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 259. It's titled, Will the Libra Cryptocurrency Be Better at Money? Last month, Facebook announced a new cryptocurrency called the Libra, L-I-B-R-A. Parmi Olson and Jeff Horowitz in the Wall Street Journal described it as being a secure blockchain-based payment system backed by hard assets and designed for ordinary users, making it among the boldest efforts yet to bring digital currencies into the mainstream. There's critics, though. Here's a quote from Phil Chen. He's the decentralized chief officer at Foamaker HTC's blockchain-driven Exodus project. Of the Libra, he said, this project is the antithesis of Bitcoin and is another step toward total control of data and users. This global coin is the most invasive and dangerous form of surveillance they have devised thus far. The Libra white paper describes it as a key objective of the project is to provide billions of people with access to a low-volatility cryptocurrency that can serve as a low-friction medium of exchange on an international basis from day one and can support new digital native use cases such as micropayments. Which is it? Is it invasive and dangerous? Is it the boldest initiative yet in digital currencies? Will it revolutionize money? It's scheduled to launch in 2020. But in this episode, we want to look at what is the Libra and what kind of money is it? Will it be better at money? In episode 199, I did a show titled, What Kind of Money Is It? And we talked about the attributes of money. Traditionally, money attributes include, is it a store of value? Does the currency go down in value over time in terms of its ability to purchase goods and services. If there's a great deal of inflation, you need more of that particular money to buy goods and services, which means it hasn't been a great store of value. Is it a medium of exchange? Does it facilitate transactions? And what does it cost to transact in a given currency? A third attribute is a unit of account. Is this money used by businesses to do their accounting books, to value their assets. Do they value their assets in Bitcoin? Most don't. Will they do it in Libra? Probably not for a long time. Do they value their assets and show what their assets and liabilities are in the U.S. dollar? Yes, they do. So from that aspect, that money is a unit of account. But also in episode 199, I shared some other attributes of money that were outlined by the Bank of International Settlements in a white paper. Things such as who issued it? Is it electronic or physical? How accessible is it? Can everybody use the money or is it limited to certain parties? What's the transfer mechanism in sending the money from one 
entity to the next. Is that centralized or decentralized? How available is it? Is it 24-7 availability or can you only transact in the currency over a certain periods of time? Is it interest-bearing? Do you earn money or do you earn interest on the currency? And can you transact anonymously? Is it an anonymous currency? That's what we're going to look at when we look at Libra. We're going to measure it and see, is it truly revolutionary or are there some definite concerns? Facebook describes Libra as a cryptocurrency, which means it will have some attributes like well-known cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Ethereum. The primary way it's like a cryptocurrency is Libra will use distributed ledger technology, which essentially there's a blockchain. It's a database that's shared across the platform of those that what are called validators within Libra, within the Libra network. And so when you send money via Libra or you buy something via Libra, there's a transaction and that transaction needs to be validated by the network to make sure that you had the money in your account, the Libra in your account. And there's transactions that they do or, or calculations to verify that. And then once that transaction has been verified, it's added to the block that essentially becomes a database. That's how distributed ledger technology works. Now, there needs to be an incentive for those participating in the network validating transactions to do that. Now, most cryptocurrencies, one of those incentives is transaction fees. If you want to buy something with the cryptocurrency or send the cryptocurrency to someone else, there's a transaction fee. That transaction fee goes to those validators that are part of the network. And in the case of Bitcoin, those validators are called miners. By mining, they're, they're solving an algorithm as part of, or essentially a mathematical problem, as part of the validation of transaction. And so there's something called a proof of work. They have to show that they did their work, just like if you show you did the work on your homework. That's what the miners have to do that are part of the network to prove that their calculation is correct, that the transactions are, are the correct, and whoever can solve that first is rewarded with new Bitcoin. So that's their reward. So there's a proof of work. With Libra, it's different. It's what's known as a proof of stake, which means that those validators, they have some skin in the game. They have some financial incentive, not because they're going to get rewarded with a new cryptocurrency, but because they're going to benefit as the overall infrastructure for Libra builds out, as more and more people use that. And we'll see that their incentive is these founding members of the network get a part of, they get some income from the reserves that are used to back Libra. We'll describe that more momentarily. The transaction fee for Libra is known as gas. There's a gas price, and it's in what they describe as micro Libra gas units. In doing a transaction, there's a maximum gas amount that you're willing to pay for the transaction. If the cost, if the network's very busy, and you exceed that maximum, what they call running out of gas, then the transaction fails, and you pay just part of the transaction fee. But the point is, there is a cost to participating in the network because you have those nodes validating transaction and they need to be rewarded for their efforts. But the rewards 
is not based on proof of work. Because with proof of work, particularly one of the the things with Bitcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies is there's a great deal of energy expended doing the calculation because it's a race. Who can validate the transaction first and solve this problem, this mathematical problem that's part of it and add the block to the blockchain? And if you're first, then you win. So there's, there's a need for speed and for cheap computing power, which is why many of these miners end up being, I saw a report last week about Iran, where much of the energy is subsidized, is trying to shut down miners that are taking advantage of cheap power. But that's not the case with Libra. These validators, they're not necessarily racing because everyone's participating if the overall network grows. One of the criticisms for Libra, because it's using proof of stake, is it's not permissionless in that not anyone, you can't just launch a server and start validating transactions on Libra like you could for Bitcoin. You could participate in a network and and anyone can do that. For proof of stake, at least initially, you have to be approved to be part of the network of validators. And there's criteria that the white paper lists out, and they're pretty high in terms of, for example, corporations have to have a billion dollars of assets that they control. Now, there's also members uh, or validators, what they call founding members that are from academia, that are from not-for-profits, and they have their own criteria. But the overall aim is that these founding members can be trusted. Because one of the things with a permissionless network is there needs to be trust. You can't have the network corrupted and you can't have the network overly controlled by one or two members that can steal the money or, or change the code. So there's a fine balance there between having permission in terms of proof of stake, having skin in the game, or permissionless where it's proof of work and you have to do the work to be able to participate in the rewards. One of the things that Libra wants to do is right now, while there are a limited number of founding members, over time, they want to transition to something that's permissionless. They say to ensure that Libra is truly open and always operates in the best interest of its users, our ambition is for the Libra network to become permissionless. The challenge is that as of today, we do not believe that there is a proven solution that can deliver the scale, stability, and security needed to support billions of people and transactions across the globe through a permissionless network. It's a closed network with only certain participants. Libra is controlled by the Libra Association. It's an independent, not-for-profit entity based in Switzerland. And no single founding member has control of that. And so it is diversified. The underlying code that these founding members use in terms of validation is called the Libra BFT. BFT stands for Byzantine Fault Tolerance. The white paper describes Libra BFT is based on hot stuff, a recent protocol that leverages several decades of scientific advances in Byzantine fault tolerance. Now you can read all about this BFT, but what they're seeking 
in terms of the underlying code that is being run on this computer network that is validating transactions, maintaining the distributed ledger of all the historical transactions, maintaining the blockchain, is they want safety. So they want to make sure that there's honesty among the validators, that they're not becoming corrupt. And they say with this Libra BFT that it can operate even if one-third of validators are corrupt. They want finality, which is an important component of cryptocurrencies, that the transactions are irreversible. And it has that. And they want sustainability. One of the challenges with blockchains now, as I mentioned, is the computational power and the energy that is consumed validating transactions. With Libra BFT, they say the computational cost consists of primarily of cryptographic signatures and just sort of maintaining that. They're not expending all this energy verifying transactions because they're not having to solve this complex mathematical problem. Now, what about the rewards for the validators? Well, certainly they're getting the transaction fees, but what they're also getting is interest on the reserves that's backing the currency. And the way this is done is the founding members, they essentially are buying in to the right to participate. They're putting up money that is used to start funding this reserve because each Libra is backed by assets that we'll look at. But they needed money to to actually start backing the first Libra. And to do that, they did a private offering. We'll We'll be doing a private offering of securities known as the Libra Investment Token. And if you own the Libra Investment Token, then you will start getting some of the interest on these reserves. Because that's what's different about Libra versus other cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin. They're backed by something. Each Libra is backed by an equivalent amount of value in terms of other fiat currencies and short-term assets, such as government bonds. So in order to create a new Libra, money has to be transferred. And this is done through resellers. So authorized resellers, you would send your dollars to a reseller. You would then get some of the Libra cryptocurrency. And that money that, w- that went to the reseller would go to the reserve. So you essentially would have this reserve of assets backing the Libra. So one of the things that a Libra is called, is it's called a stable coin, which is a form of cryptocurrency that is backed by real assets. But here's what's really kind of fascinating, because when we talk about backing a currency, oftentimes we think of backing it with a hard asset, such as gold, precious metal. That's what, for many, many years, currencies were backed by gold. And then they became fiat currencies where they weren't backed by anything. In fact, the currency, the U.S. dollar, is essentially a liability. It's a Federal Reserve note. It doesn't have intrinsic value. What they're saying with Libra, because it's going to be backed by fiat currencies and short-term government bonds, that it has intrinsic value. But it's a little contorted because the, the intrinsic value that it has, it's backed by things that actually have no value. They're just IOUs backed by fiat currencies. 
The Libra white paper says the actual assets will be a collection of low volatility assets, including bank deposits and government securities in currencies from stable and reputable central banks. On the capital preservation point, it continues, the association will only invest in debt from stable governments with low default probability that are unlikely to experience high inflation. In addition, the reserve has been diversified by selecting multiple governments rather than just one to further reduce the potential impact of such events. Now, it's going to be liquid, so there'll be shorter term securities that trade on a daily basis in volumes of tens or even hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, when you think about that, though, those stable governments more and more have extremely low interest rates and in many cases, negative rates where you're not making any money investing in their government bonds. And if this stake that these members have, they're getting transaction fees, but if they're supposed to be getting income from the reserve backing the Libra, and if they're in the most secure assets, they're hardly yielding anything and perhaps have a negative yield. So kind of a challenge there when it comes to that. But if this thing got big, the reserves could be huge. Here's a quote from Andreas Antonopoulos. He's really an expert on cryptocurrencies. I've, I have quoted him in the past. He shared this in a, an episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. He says, if I'm a central banker or if I'm a government politician or someone who works in the finance ministry of, say, France or India, I would look at this and say, dear God, at some point, Libra will be able to come in, not only buy up our bonds, but then hold us over a barrel and dictate to small countries until eventually it can dictate to medium countries, then large countries. Now, who knows if we get to that? But potentially, the Libra Association has some political power in terms of the assets that it owns. Now, we want to look at Libra in terms of how new money is created compared to other currencies. Before we do that, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. 
But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Libra White Paper says the association does not set monetary policy. It mints and burns coins only in response to demand from authorized resellers. Users do not need to worry about the association introducing inflation into the system or debasing the currency. Most currencies, the money supply, let's say in the U.S. and other developed worlds, it's created by banks when they lend. We've talked about that in multiple episodes. This is commercial bank money. When they lend, there is an IOU created and it's offset by a deposit in the bank account. And so that's how most money is created. Central banks can also create money because money, let's say the U.S. dollars, is essentially a Federal Reserve liability. Central banks can create unlimited amounts of money. We've talked about how governments can create money by spending. Now, typically they offset that by issuing government bonds, but theoretically, if their leaders allow, they could also create money through spending. And what's fascinating about the Libras is saying, well, we're not going to do that. We only create money when an authorized reseller puts money into the reserve in exchange for a new Libra. But the reserve is made up of currencies from other countries that do debase their money and do have inflation, which means the value of the Libra is tied Essentially, it's very similar to other fiat currencies. It's not going to be like Bitcoin, which isn't tied to anything, is decentralized. So it's apart from that. People like to own Bitcoin, and it's more than doubled this year because it isn't backed by anything and isn't tied to government finances in any way. There's a limited supply of Bitcoin, whereas there's an unlimited supply of other money in terms of fiat currencies and potentially unlimited supply of Libra. It's just that that creation and destruction of Libra will be based on money going in and out of the reserves. So there's no gold backing the Libra to give it true intrinsic value. It is backed by fiat currencies and securities tied to fiat currencies. 
What that means is the Libra will only be a store of value to the extent that other securities are a store of value, the other currencies and the government, because you're not even getting interest. You get no interest if you hold the Libra. The only interest being that the reserves earn are going to pay to run the Libra network. In other words, the Libra Association, and it's going to founding members for interest, those that own some of these Libra investment tokens. Who are these founding members? They're very well known. And that was the idea. We'll get founding members that are very well known, that are trusted, because this will be a permission network to start. So for payments, they have MasterCard, PayPal, Stripe, Visa, technology companies, Facebook, Farfetch, Lyft, Spotify, Uber, telecommunications, Vodafone Group. There's a number of blockchain companies such as Coinbase, venture capital firms, Adreesen Horowitz and others, Thrive Capital, Union Square Ventures, nonprofits organizations such as Creative Destruction Lab, Kiva, Mercy Corps, and Women's World Banking. They make up the Libra Association. They will be validating these transactions. And the idea is this will be open eventually to others, but there needs to be a transition point, and they're not quite sure how that's going to work. So from that standpoint, it's not truly decentralized yet, like other cryptocurrencies. Not anyone can step up and participate in the network as a validator. Anyone can, once it launches, can get Libra to hold and to use, which is the idea, but not everyone can participate in the creation of new Libra or validating transactions. What are some problems that have been pointed out already? Well, one is taxes, and this is from a Financial Times article where they point out, this is Dan Needle, he's a partner at the law firm Clifford Chance. He points out that to peg the value of the Libra to a basket of currencies globally, rather than fix it against a domestic currency, that means that the Libra holdings will change in value relative to an individual's domestic currency. So if your currency is weakening relative to the Libra, that when you actually buy something with that, you could be generating a capital gain if your Libra has appreciated. So when you buy something, there's a gain there. And so one of the, the questions is, how is that tracked? Well, you have to be filing a tax return showing all your transactions. I bought this with Libra that appreciated in value relative to my domestic currency. So I have a gain on it and I need to pay taxes on that. Chan says, this seems to us to be a significant barrier to wide adoption. The other thing is this has attracted the attention of regulators. Mark Carney, he's the governor of the Bank of England. He said, if Libra is successful in attracting users, it would instantly become systemic and will have to be subject to the highest standards of regulation. It's going to be regulated. And the Libra Association recognizes that, that this needs to be regulated. And if it's regulated, particularly to protect against money laundering, it's not going to be anonymous. They will know who owns Libra. When you do a Bitcoin transaction, it's very difficult to figure out who spent the money or where it came from. But with Libra, just like 
with the dollar, if you're going to move a large amount of Libra, that's going to be tracked and they're going to know who you are. And so it's going to be regulated. In summary, then let's compare the Libra to Bitcoin to the US dollar in terms of the attributes that we laid out to begin with. Who issued it? The Libras issued by the Libra Association. Bitcoin is issued by essentially automatically via the Bitcoin protocol. As miners solve transactions, new Bitcoin is created. And US dollar, it's issued in multiple ways. It's issued as banks lend. It can be issued by the Federal Reserve. It can create it that way. So that's who issues it. Is it electronic or physical? Libra and Bitcoin are electronic. The dollar can be both electronic and physical. You can get notes and coins. What about accessibility? Who can use it? Is it universal or limited? Generally, they're all universal. More so, though, for Bitcoin, because it's much easier because it, it's anonymous. Libra, you'll be able to, if you work with a reseller, you'll be able to get Libra. Generally, you can also get the dollar through any type of foreign exchange. What about the transfer mechanism? Is it centralized or decentralized? Bitcoin's decentralized. It's a very open network. Libra is going to be centralized to start out, just limited to the founding members that will validate transactions. And it'll be tracked. They're hoping it'll be more decentralized over time. The dollar, it's fairly centralized in terms of the transfer. You have to go through some party that's authorized to transfer the dollar. Now, yeah, the benefit with the dollar in terms of because it can be represented by physical bills and coins, you can transfer it decentrally just by giving it to somebody, which is an advantage of physical currency. Availability, all three 24-7. Now, depending on the dollar, you can't always, if you want to wire the money to someone, it, it takes time. But in terms of the coin, you can, you can do that 24-7. Interest-bearing. None of these currencies earn interest. You can take a dollar and invest it at a bank or in a government security, but the currency itself will not be interest-bearing. What about anonymity? Bitcoin, there's anonymity. The use of a dollar in terms of the physical dollars, the paper bills, the coins, there's anonymity there. Trying to transfer digital dollars, there is no anonymity. Same with Libra. There will not be anonymity the regulators will be involved. Will there be a store of value? It depends. The dollar, because there's an unlimited supply that can be created, we have inflation, it doesn't store value. Bitcoin, it's fairly, really volatile. It's not backed by anything. Its value depends on trust. Will it store value? It depends on whether it remains trustworthy. And the Libra, because it's backed, its intrinsic value is other fiat currencies, bank deposits, government bonds. Theoretically, it'll be less volatile, certainly less volatile than Bitcoin. But will it store value? Only to the extent that what's in its reserves, those securities, those holdings in the reserves, maintain their value. 
Will it facilitate transactions? This is the idea, the vision behind Libra, the ability to send Libra anywhere in the world at a very, very low cost. That remains to be seen. That can be done to some extent for Bitcoin, but as more and more join the network, the transaction cost could go higher and it it could get more and more expensive to send Bitcoin because of this proof of work concept, the amount of power it takes to validate transactions. So that's We'll have to see at the end of the day, what is going to be the least costly? U.S. dollars, it's easier to send dollars than it used to be, but the fees can be high. And many, many people around the world don't have the ability to send dollars, even have access to dollars. So it's not as universal as, say, Bitcoin or Libra will be. And the unit of account, the dollar is a reserve currency. Many, many organizations use the dollar for their accounting to record the value of their assets. It's unlikely that you'll see Bitcoin or Libra ever get to that situation. So we'll see how it evolves. It's fascinating development as we've seen distributed ledger technology evolve over time. It's not going away. I hold cryptocurrencies as speculations. I have Bitcoin. I have Ethereum. I own Litecoin. I have no idea if they're going to turn out. I'll probably own some Libra when it comes out. But I also own gold, something that theoretically doesn't have intrinsic value either. It's just been around a lot longer. It's important to diversify not only our financial assets, but our currency holdings, where we think we want to store value. I think that's important to do. That's episode 259. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. Why there, please sign up for my free weekly email newsletter. I'll send you the links and the resources for that particular week's episode, as well as an essay I do each week on usually some topic unrelated to that week's episode, but certainly on money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just goes to that email list, and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.